If you've been listening for a while, you know that I love to work out and do yoga. With that, though, comes sore muscles and some aches and pains. That's why I'm excited to partner with Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA, is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, and it's also great for sleep and anxiety. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. Tanasi is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Did you know that 97% of women don't get enough vitamin D from their diet? Yes, facts. That's where today's partner, Ritual, comes in. Spring in Chicago can be cold and cloudy, and I haven't seen the sun for a few weeks. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. It's a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking your multis actually enjoyable. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Visit ritual.com slash sober mom for 25% off. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hi guys, this is probably the sixth time I have tried to record this intro. Can we just normalize like screwing up over and over and over and just continuing to try again? I mean, I had mic issues and then it wasn't plugged in and then my mic was muted and then I just couldn't get my words out and then I was like coughing. It's just been a shit show. So let's just normalize the shit show. You are hearing the polished edited version, but just know behind the scenes, it is not that. Um, But thank you for coming back to the podcast. If you are trying out Dry January for the first time or trying to figure out this sober lifestyle and what it is and if it's for you, go back and listen to last week's episode. That is a a kind of a guide to Dry January. I give my tips and tricks 
and maybe a way that will even change your perspective on it. And then we'll revisit. I'll do another solo episode at the end of the month and talk about kind of how to think about your relationship with alcohol going forward after dry January. If you were just here, just listening for dry January, we'll talk through that too. But today I'm so excited. I have Amanda E. White here today. She's the author of Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love. She's also a licensed therapist and she runs the popular Instagram account, Therapy for Women. If you have not checked it out, do so immediately. I love following her. She shares really great practical mental health tips that are geared for women. And I don't know about you guys, but especially after the pandemic, I think that we need focus on mental health now more than ever. I loved this conversation. I love how Amanda talks about sobriety. She's sober herself, and she shares a little bit about her story. We also talk about her book, and I highly recommend this book. If you like This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, and that kind of helped you change how you think about alcohol in the knowledge problem way, if you had a knowledge problem about alcohol, this is a great book to follow that up with because I think that this book helps us deal with what we're left when we say, okay, alcohol is shit. It's it's ethanol. It will ruin everything. And now I see it for what it is. But there are still big gaps in our lives when alcohol is gone and we need to learn how to cope and feel and be uncomfortable, set boundaries, all of these things that we probably have never had to deal with because we just were drinking and we didn't even realize how we were using alcohol to cope. So I just love this book so much. I think it's it should be required reading for anyone who is starting off on a on a path to sobriety because it's so much about our mental health and that's really what sobriety brings up in us is ways that we need to cope because our old ways guys they that just wasn't working anymore. Go follow her Therapy for Women. So she's also a founder and director of Therapy for Women Center, a group practice in Philadelphia with therapists across the country. She's been featured in the Washington Post, Forbes, Shape, Women's Health Magazine, and more. I adore her. She's just so relatable and kind, and she really speaks about sobriety in such a positive and encouraging way. I think you guys will really enjoy her. And before that, I want to tell you about, so make sure that you are in our Sober Mom Life group on Facebook. You guys, we are up to like over 5,000 moms. And it remains the most supportive and kindest place. I've never been in a group of women that large and seen this much support. And like, there's there's no bullshit in there. And if there is, I delete it and I block the person. So I really take pride in making sure that space remains super supportive for you and for everyone who's in it. So if you are seeking community and sobriety, that is one of the things that is of the utmost importance. And I know it can be hard to find, especially at first. Go there. Come and join us. We also have a free Zoom meeting every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. My mom and I host it. It's just it's just whoever wants to be there. 
If you want to talk, you can. You don't have to turn on your camera. You can just sit and listen. And it's really just us supporting each other. It's sharing. It's sharing accomplishments and successes, but also sharing struggles. And I, oh man, you guys, I love it. And I Tuesdays can be a blah day. I don't know why. I love a Monday. I love a new week. But then by Tuesday, I'm like, oh, right. We're really in this now. We're really in the week now. And so Tuesday at 11 is just a perfect time for me. And I, oh, you guys, I love it. So you get to that through the group and then also come and follow me. So I've decided starting in the new year, I'm going to start sharing more of the sobriety kind of lifestyle and health and wellness lifestyle on my kind of suite. That is where I started. The Sober Mom Life on Instagram is still there and that will support the podcast and that will it will still be all of all sobriety. But if you want to dig deeper into sobriety and health and wellness and okay, alcohol's gone, now what? That's where my kind of suite is going to meet you. And so be sure to follow me on there too. What else, guys? I had one more. Oh, that's right. Patreon. So I've kept this space ad-free, which is really important to me. But in order to keep it going and keep the lights on over here, I created a Patreon and that is bonus content. So we have mental health moments with my mom. There's at least one bonus episode a week. You also get to see the video episodes of each podcast episode. So you and they're unedited. So you get to see when my dog comes in and when my five-year-old comes in and you get to see what we edit out. So come and join. The lowest tier is $5. That will give you the bonus episodes and all of the bonus content. So come and join us over there. And I think that's it, guys. I think that's my spiel. So I really hope you love this episode. I know I do. I will be listening to it a few times because Amanda just, she has gems and I love the way she talks about sobriety. So, okay, guys, enjoy Amanda E. White. Hi, Amanda. I am so glad to meet you on the screen, finally. Yes, in real time. (laughs) Yes, in real time. Thank you so much for being here. I have been wanting to talk to you since your book came out. I didn't even have a podcast then, so I didn't even know how that would be possible. But I clearly remember, so your book, Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love, I clearly remember, I think I pre-ordered it. Like I I was first in line. I was ready. So I think I had been, did it come out last January? Yes, okay. exactly. Okay, so I had probably two years of sobriety under my belt. I devoured mm-hmm. all of the Quitlet that was out and ever published. And then there was a stall in there where there wasn't a lot new happening. And when yours came out, you're a therapist, first of all. And yep. so I really think of your book, we're just going to dive right into it, because I think of your book as picking up where this naked mind left off. So I love this naked mind, and I I loved kind of the unbrainwashing and the, if it's a knowledge problem, if we don't know what alcohol is and what it does to us, this naked mind clears that all up. But then what's left? Totally. And I really think your book is the place to go when you're in sobriety and you're like, okay, I get it. 
I get it. Alcohol is shit. It's a highly addictive toxin. It's horrible. (laughs) And the more we drink it, the more we want it and all of that shit. But then also, okay, I can know that. But then what's underneath that? And your book for me was huge in that, in answering and helping me answer that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's that's such a compliment. That was exactly my goal of how do I meet people wherever they are on the spectrum and provide value for them. That was where I saw there was a gap in the market that I felt like, you know, there are a lot of books written. There are a lot of memoirs. There's, you know, Annie Grace's book, but most of the books written by therapists are very technical and only focused on addiction and they don't talk to kind of you know, someone who is just questioning the relationship with alcohol or maybe doesn't fit criteria or call themselves an alcoholic. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's most people. I know just from the people that the moms that I talk to on here and thousands in my Facebook group, like we are the word, the term alcoholic scares us. I think for me, the term alcoholic yeah. kept me drinking and kept me in the loop with alcohol. And I know, so in your book, you go into your story a little bit and your story really resonated with me in that you're in that moderation hell. Yeah. I mean, is there a hell like trying to moderate alcohol? Like, I think that is the fresh hell on earth. (laughs) I totally agree. It's, you know, some people are, I guess some people, you know, I have some clients who it, it does work for them, but I think for most people, it is hell. It's exhausting. Okay. Does it really? Tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. I think it works for them in the sense of they've decided that it's worth it for them. You know, I think that it still is difficult for them to do. I think it's, I think it only really works if someone genuinely gives up the idea that they'll be able to get drunk because once you lose control, you've lost all control. (laughs) So I think that's a big misconception that people have to give up. Like you got to, you got to really like the the taste of alcohol. You've got to decide that you will use a lot of willpower and you also have to be fine with just like having one or two drinks and and that's it. And I think for most of us, if we drink more than that, right. there was a reason. <laughs> right. So you go into your moderation story in the book and all of the rules that you set because moder- that's what it is, right? It's like yes. trying to control this very hard to control, highly addictive substance. So yep. you're kind of set up for failure right there. So what are what were some of your rules? I, I totally resonated with that because there are so many rules. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Some of mine were, um, I, I did a lot of thinking that the type of alcohol was the problem. You know, like I wasn't, I was going to only drink beer because I didn't like beer. <laughs> I was going to only, you know, I wasn't going to take shots. I wasn't going to drink liquor. I was only going to drink wine for a while. I had this really crazy rule where I was only going to drink shots, which I thought would be helpful <gasps> yes. in measuring yes. somehow. I went. <laughs> I went through that too. I went through that in college. I was like, okay, we're just going to do only shot Wednesdays. On Wednesdays, yeah. like we're going to see how this plays out. I was like, of course. I. We know how that played out. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. None of it worked. Yeah. And so when did you get to the point where you – like what made you realize, okay, wait, this might be a losing game? One thing you mentioned 
was that you lost a sentimental piece of jewelry. Yes. And that, for me, I I lost – I mean, and I didn't stop mm. drinking right after this, but I lost a necklace that my grandma gave me that was hers, and it was my most prized I, – I still think about it and my heart breaks – 12 years later. Yeah. And losing that, there was so much shame and guilt I had around losing that. Mm-hmm. And so when you said that you lost a piece of jewelry, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I didn't stop drinking after that, that either. And that's where I think the whole idea of rock bottoms can really hurt people because you have to time it perfectly, right? Where you hit this rock bottom and then immediately you stop drinking and right there were many rock bottoms that i had and it just you know it happened that one of them i decided to stop drinking but yeah for me it was really i was in therapy at the time and i thankfully had a really really great therapist who was really great about you know like subtly pushing me and and showing me things but also not pressuring me or telling me i had to call myself an alcoholic and one of the things she had me experiment with was she was like, cause I also, I wasn't drinking every day. So I had a lot of excuses of why I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a problem. And she was like, well, why don't you take 30 days and try not to drink for 30 days? And I was like, I can easily do that. And you know, like, I'm going to show you. You're like done. Exactly. And yeah. I like completely fudged it where I was like, well, this weekend leading up to it doesn't count. And this is like the 4th of July. So that doesn't count. And like the last Yeah, obviously that's off the table. (laughs) Right. And, you know, through kind of the process of, of doing all of that, that was a big thing in me realizing how hard it was for me to control my drinking or not even be able to take a break for 30 days and how hard it, like the fact that I had to I was like, well, I can take a break from alcohol, but I can't do anything. I There can't be a holiday and there can't be a social event planned. I can't go on a date. I can't see any friends. I like just in a vacuum, s- I'm fine. Yes, yes exactly. And I really yeah. thought, well, that makes yeah. sense, <laughs> you know? Right, right. It's not going to be fun, but I'm going right. to do it. <laughs> right, exactly. And through that, you know, I kind of – some of the denial started, I think, to shed. And the other big thing that I really worked on with my therapist that made a big difference for me was we were doing a lot of values work. She was having me, you know, look at what my values were, what was important to me. And one of those big things was friendship. And it was really hard because then I would get drunk and I would just – get into these terrible fights with people, or I would say that I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, not sleep with people on the first date. And then I that would totally go out the window when I drank. And I really had yeah. no control. And it felt so disorienting to be like, well, these are my values. This is what I want out of my life. But the second I drink, I can't control it. And I become a different person. And this is killing my self-esteem. Yes. Yeah. And your idea of who you are, I I always think that that's why moderation for me was so hard. It wasn't this, it wasn't this giant rock bottom where I lost everything and there were DUIs and I cheated. It wasn't that. It was a slow chipping away at who I thought I was and who I really was and in my heart and what I was 
doing. And when those didn't add up and those didn't line up, it was so much shame. It was just, and then the shame spiral starts. And then that is just, oh, and I think every woman listening to this knows that feeling. And I don't think there's a worse feeling. I totally agree. I, the shame kept me stuck for so, so long. And it, you know, the shame became something, it was like I, I drank because I needed to escape the feeling of shame, but then I would do things when I drank, which then caused more shame. So it just was this vicious cycle. Yeah. And I think where we sit and like where I sit and when I hear from women and when I hear from moms and they're talking about their most shameful moments as moms, whether that's their kids seeing them drink or their kids holding their hair as they're throwing up or just these deeply just shameful moments. It's it's so clear to me that it's the alcohol. <laughs> it's just so clear when you hear somebody's story, even when you were telling me your story. And it's just so clear to me. It if not for the alcohol, then that wouldn't happen. And so then it's just clear, okay, alcohol is the problem. But when it's our story and when it's our life and when it, it's, it feels like we are the problem, like there's a problem with us and we, it takes so much longer to connect the dots to alcohol or it did for me. No, I totally agree. I think there is something about when it's happening to you and, you know, Alcohol is weird where you do feel like you're in control until you're not. And I think there's also like this misconception with society, right? That like when you get drunk or you loosen your expectations and stuff, you are your real self. That I think there oh, can perpetuate this fear, yeah. right? That this is who I really am. Like that idea that like if you want to yes. know the truth, ask someone when they're drunk or something like that. Where yes, like a truth serum or some. Bullshit. I like lied yeah. and said ridiculous things when I was drunk that I did not mean. I at sl- all. oh my god, I slept with men I would never have slept yes. with. I've, I, that that is not my truth. Yeah. That is not my truth. <laughs> Yeah. And it's all this shameful stuff. And it's all – that's what I love about your book is it kind of opens up this space to even if you're not – even if sobriety isn't the mm-hmm. goal, it, you're just giving women a space to question it and to examine it. Because I think this – when you have an unexamined relationship with alcohol, then you are giving up control. Yeah, Then e- – then you're you're not even in the equation anymore because alcohol will it'll take over if you let it it'll take over yeah absolutely and I think that you know it's interesting as a therapist because I can talk about so many different things with people we examine their relationship with their partners with their kids with their families with sleeping with eating with exercise right and when it comes to alcohol. It is just so often a hard stop of I'm not an alcoholic. And it's like in our society, we've decided you either are an alcoholic or you should never question your relationship with alcohol. We don't do that with anything else. I know. And that's so – it's – oh, it's so – it's just so harmful because 
you see so many women struggling with that. And then they think that something's wrong mm-hmm. with them. And I'm here to tell you nothing's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you yeah. if you can't handle a highly addictive toxin. That's, yeah. you guys, that's just science. That's chemistry. That's biology. I don't know much about science, but I'm pretty sure that's what that is. And so, well, same with like cigarettes. Yes. Right? Like, yes. There are those random people who can like have a cigarette once in a while, but right. Most people become smokers. <laughs> okay, exactly. And so this is this is what I've been thinking a lot about lately, is this idea of a normal drinker. And like, well, I wish I could just drink normally. And what I'm seeing, and I wonder if you see this too, is if we talk about normal as typical and what most people are doing – in my eyes, a normal drinker is one who is has questioned her relationship with alcohol, has struggled with it, has taken a break, has drank too much, has maybe blacked out, has gotten drunk, ha- has this really toward relationship with alcohol. Like that is normal. Yeah, I would say the same. I mean, I don't know if everyone questions it, but I think that there, yeah, there is. Do you think they do deep down? Do you think that? I think sometimes. Yeah. What do you think about as a therapist? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, denial denial runs deep. So while I think there is some questioning that happens, I don't think you would ever know that maybe because it's not something they say out loud or share with someone else or even really admit to themselves. Right, which then just furthers the stigma of, see, she's not questioning it Mm -hmm. when really probably like in her innermost self, when she has drank too much, I think there is a little questioning that's happening. I think that – I mean, yeah, I think there wouldn't be this idea of someone being like a lot of times, right, like when you tell someone you're not drinking, people fear you're judging them. And I yes. think that wouldn't happen if someone yes. was 100% secure in their relationship with alcohol. So true. So true. And that's such an important thing to remember, especially, you know, just with women when we are and, – and with moms, when we want to belong, we want to connect. And, yeah, when someone's kind of pushing you and like, okay, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? What what do you say to that? I mean, you have been sober for a long time. Yeah, it's been eight, eight years now. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's been, you know, different points of my life. And at this point, a lot of people know that I don't drink. Yeah. It depends on the person. It depends on the circumstance. But I often am kind of a fan of just keeping it pretty simple and saying I don't drink anymore. It didn't like work well with my personality. It, it just wasn't something, you know, it just like stopped being fun and I couldn't do it in a way that felt good for me. Yes. So yeah, I mean, definitely earlier in my life and things like that, I would be, you know, I called myself an alcoholic for a bit when I was trying to figure out the right thing to do and I felt like I had to. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't until four or five years into my sobriety that I felt like I was allowed to not and I was allowed to admit that maybe I wouldn't die if I kept drinking. Right. And that maybe it's just that I didn't like the consequences and it didn't work in my life. Yeah. 
And this term alcoholic, you talk about that a lot in your book and how you don't consider yourself an alcoholic. And actually, that's not even a part of the – my mom's a therapist and she would – the DSM, is that what it's yes. called? The DSM? Yeah. Okay. That that's not even a thing, right? Exactly. No, when I was doing research for my book, I was like, is there even an agreed upon term for this? And I, I had a lot of research that – probably wasn't super interesting to everyone. So some of my editors cut it out of the book, but I had this whole thing like charting the difference in the term and stuff. And there is no agreed upon definition. Different countries and organizations say different things. It's not in the DSM. It hasn't been since the first edition came out when they thought it was like a moral disease. So when was just, that a moral disease? Oh, when was that in like like the first one of the first editions of the DSM, which I think came out in like the early 1900s? Oh, okay, so, a long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> oh my yeah, God. yeah. God, wow. And so it's really, I mean, it is that AA has capitalized on this market, and it's either you're you're sober. Well, AA came first, which is yeah. so interesting because. Before AA, people were just locked up in asylums and it was just considered you had like a moral deficit. And AA was revolutionary in that it said, this isn't a moral deficit, this is a disease. And and it it was like really revolutionary. The problem is, is that the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, the first rehabs, they all just followed AA's blueprint. They came afterwards. So they didn't create their own. So it is oh, very wow. skewed in that it wasn't, you know, it it was highly influenced by AA and what had already been created. And even addiction medicine as a field is very reliant on AA's terms and usage and things like that. That's so interesting. And, and AA has been around since, what, the 30s? I mean, yep. it's... I guess the the question is 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 AA evolving? I mean, is is it is there a change? I think there's. I mean, there was a big change that happened. I think in the fifties or sixties because when it was okay. first founded, women weren't allowed, people of color were not allowed, so there was a big change that happened with that. Mm. But not much has really changed since then, and I think that is. The issue with AA and my critique is just that it hasn't caught up with modern times, with technology, things like that. Right. It does seem I, – I don't know about you, but you have a, a giant audience on Instagram. And do you get pushback from people in AA when you talk about – you know, not calling yourself an alcoholic and kind of this newer way to think about sobriety and living alcohol-free, do you get pushback? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> okay. Me too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, people saying that I'm dangerous and and yes. people are going to die and all of these things. And I mean, I think that I'm fairly good at handling it just because I was in AA for quite a few years. So I really do understand the nuance of it. And I understand where those people are coming from because for the people that it really works for, it it does feel like or it is life and death for them. Yes. Right. But my big – what I always kind of do is I just say like you get to have your experience, the people that it works for – 
has their experience. I'm not trying to come against AA or take it down by any means. We just have to look at the millions of people that are being left out of the conversation. And that's who I'm talking to. Yeah, that's, I think that's right. I I think that it does seem like there's just a barrier, like they're kind of bound and determined. And I'm not saying everybody in AA, um, but the people, because I get, you know, they tend to be white men um, who come after me. It, It just seems like they're bound and determined to not to see this newer way of catching people along the way before they get to AA. And so then it's just like, okay, well, if you're bound and determined not to, you know, see what I'm doing, then that's fine. I'm going to let you (laughs) – I'm not going to try. I'm not like proselytizing and being like, this is better than AA. It's just – I know from me and my story, I think the idea of going to AA and calling myself an alcoholic and being forever powerless to alcohol Mm – was terrifying and kept me drinking. Yeah. And it reminds me, so in your book, I, I love how you kind of present three women and you say there it's a mix of all of the clients that you see and the, the themes that you see in your practice. And one of the women is Brianna. And I think I think the moms listening to this will really see themselves in her story. Which is like she's you know, she's gone two years without alcohol. She's been pregnant. She's breastfed without alcohol. And so she has been able to stop drinking alcohol. Yeah. She realizes, though, that life could be better without alcohol. And so her kind of struggle is staying stopped. Yeah. And so she's like, why can I stop sometimes for two and a half years? And then now when I want to stop, I can't. And does that point to the fact that I don't need to? Yes, that's a very common, very tricky thing I think that can happen where we can feel like, well, maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of this. Mm -hmm. And if I just relaxed, you know, it would be fine and things like that. And to me, that's where, I mean, the conversation is you deserve to live the life that you want to live without being in this struggle just because it feels harder in different moments because you want it more doesn't mean it's not possible and doesn't mean like you can stop drinking for a long period of time. And that doesn't mean though that it's not negatively impacting your life. And I think that's the really important thing. And that's where I came up with the term also of like disordered drinking because I think it really speaks to there, there can be different periods in our life where we go through different things and our drinking may be more disordered and our drinking may be more like controlled, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still question it, right? Just mm-hmm. because we can go through periods in our life with our partner where we have a stronger relationship or a less strong relationship, but it doesn't mean that we should stop inquiring about what could be better or what we want or setting boundaries or whatever, just because we've had times where it wasn't a struggle. Yes. That makes so much sense. And I I love in the book when Brianna was like, you know, I, I don't even know if I need to stop now. Like I I don't even know. Like maybe it wasn't a problem. And I, I think I'm fine. And the way you kind of took her back to why did you want to stop? Mm-hmm. Because at some point you wanted to stop. Right. And you saw – 
that alcohol was a problem. And then like kind of bringing her back to that, it, it felt so powerful in such a simple way to say, no, what's what's your why? Mm-hmm. Like you have whys for drinking, but what what's your why for sobriety? Yeah. yeah, it's easy to lose track of that, I think, sometimes in those moments. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Especially when I think – I mean, I know I'm guilty of it. I, I do try to glamorize sobriety because I think, dude, there are enough people, especially mommy bloggers, uh, glamorizing alcohol. And so, like, I'm going to glamorize the hell out of sobriety because if one is more glamorous, it is sobriety. <laughs> um, that said, it's not easy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's – sure, it's – it's. I think that it's easier than living a life numbing yourself and constantly kind of trying to escape and then feeling with the physical effects of alcohol and all of that guilt and shame and all that bullshit. But that doesn't mean that that once sobriety feels hard, that it's not the right choice. Yeah. I often talk about it's kind of to me like choose your hard. Yes. Like my mom, you therapists, I'm telling you, you therapists love that. Cause my mom, I, I swear <laughs> she had that, she has like a huge chalkboard door, you know, like in her yeah. hall. And she had that written on her door, like huge black letters for like a year. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, I get it. <laughs> it's oh so gosh, true so though. Funny. Yeah. It's like, right. Like life is going to be hard regardless. So you get to choose whether the hard you want is being sober and having to face what's happening and face your emotions and not have an easy button to kind of tap out or Mm -hmm. your heart is going to be dealing with hangovers and dealing with like cleaning up when you say things that are like, you know, you didn't mean to say or getting into those dumb arguments with your partner or being more irritable around your kids. Like both are going to be hard. So you have to choose which one's worth it. Totally. And it does feel like – it does feel like in one instance, you're putting more of the hard in your rearview mirror. And mm. that doesn't mean that you're not going to deal with the shit that comes up because – and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about all the shit that comes up in sobriety. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have to deal with that. But it feels like most of the hard is going to be behind you. You're going to move forward through it. Whereas yeah. with alcohol – that hard is a, is out in front of you. I mean, you're going to – you're heading toward it. Yeah, you're going to constantly be like cleaning yeah. stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> of a better term. Oh, exactly. And so let's talk about like what do you see as a common theme? I know it's, it's hard to generalize, but when people – when women come into your office mm-hmm. and they're newly sober and they're struggling, what are some – things that come up that that they probably didn't even realize that they were drinking to numb. So yeah, I think I mean I think for moms, I think guilt is a huge 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 one. I think that um, you know, just feeling like you're not a good enough parent, you don't have enough time, you're not doing it right. I think there's so much pressure on moms to be perfect or live up to what other moms are doing and things like that. And it's a common – that's a common thing. And I think another thing with moms is it's like a ritual or a thing that, you know, you do at the end of the day to turn off to – a lot of moms will tell me 
it actually makes me a better parent because it like extends my fuse at the end of the day <laughs> if I like have a glass of wine and things like that. And um right. You know, I think it's again, it's maybe temporarily it can extend your fuse and help a little bit. Yeah. But is it then impacting your sleep? Is it impacting, you know, that you say something to your child that you regret? Do you then get into right. a fight with your partner over, you know, dividing things up? Are you, then if you get bad sleep, are you more irritable the next day? Like, so it's, yes. it may be an immediate thing that you can feel like, oh, this helps. But that's the tricky thing about alcohol is most of the effects actually come the next day when you're yeah. not necessarily conscious of them being connected to alcohol. Totally. Especially that anxiety that, I mean, oh man, I think, I mean, I always talk about moms in the pandemic and that like mm. we were asked to do the impossible yes, and we did it because we're fucking superheroes, but at what cost? Yeah, And the cost, a lot of the time was our mental health. Yeah. And I think moms, like, do you see that you know, from pre-pandemic and pandemic response to post-pandemic response? And like, how how do you see moms are faring after that? Yeah. I mean, I think that you're completely right. I think that moms were put in an impossible position. I think they did whatever they had to do to survive and make it through. And I think what's really hard is there hasn't been this like clear demarcation that the pandemic is over. Right. So there hasn't been this like you know, if I think about it as a as trauma, one of the things that's really helpful with trauma is when there is like an end date to something where we can kind of like have a celebration or have like this ritual, mm -hmm. you know, it's why funerals exist where we can have this, this thing that we do collectively to help tell ourselves that we can move forward. And I think that's been so hard for parents where there, there hasn't been that People are at different stages of their comfort and fear around, you know, the pandemic coming back or the flu season and things like that. I think that that keeps yes. people really stuck in the cycle of, of feeling like, you know, the past few years have just been ongoing and there hasn't been a, yeah. a clear start and end date to it. Oh, God, that's such a great point. And, and for moms, you know – I, I know it's it's so hard for us to ask for help mm -hmm. for a lot of us. Maybe our moms didn't do that. Maybe we have this idea in our head that we've got it because we are generally, generally speaking, we are the center of our home. Yeah. And kind of if mom falls apart, um, everything falls yeah. apart. And so we have this idea that we can't fall apart. Because if we do, what's mm -hmm. gonna happen? Like my husband doesn't know he I swear to God, every single week he asks me, wait, now what days does Gray go to school? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I have right. told you so many times. And it's you know, he's it's he's just they're not mm -hmm. wired that way. I don't know. I'm generalizing, but still it's I, I just constantly see these moms who are struggling, and that's why this mommy wine culture thing, I am like on a mission to just call it out because 
it's just a big fucking yeah. trick. I mean, absolutely. And and, it, and it's not a weakness in moms that they're falling prey to this genius yeah. marketing. No, that's exactly what it is. Is it's it's marketing, and I think if you look back to how you know cigarettes were marketed and things like that, I mean, it's not that people just. I mean, it's insane how quickly like the tide changed, right? With cigarettes being cool yes. versus not. And it is not that a bunch of people just woke up and like discovered cigarettes weren't good. It was literally marketing change. That's it. Yes. Yes. And you talk about – so going back to the disordered yeah. drinking, because this has me thinking about Instagram with the disordered mm-hmm. eating. You see a lot of parallels yes. with eating disorders and alcohol. So I I tried to like report. <laughs> I was a, I was an Instagram police. I'm like on a on a tear. And there was this one creator mm-hmm. and I've talked about it on the podcast before and she was talking about she actually said the quiet part out loud. She said if you're a mom and you're not an alcoholic, I don't trust Oof. you. And I was like, "Holy yeah. shit." Like, ah, that is so yeah. dangerous. And so I went in and tried to yeah. report it. I was like, "Surely I can, you know, and there wasn't an, Mm -hmm. like, there just wasn't an option. There was, however, and I saw, I think this is newer, that there was an option saying, like, promoting eating disorders. Yeah, that is a new thing, I think. And I was like, that is, right? I was like, okay, wow, that's that's new in the whenever since I've been a creator. But I I think it's interesting that that you see a lot of parallels between – disordered eating and what you call disordered drinking. Yeah. And that's really kind of where I came up with the term is because there is this gray area that's nuanced that people recognize they can engage in disordered eating patterns and not have to admit that they have an eating disorder or they're powerless over their food issues or things like that. And that creates a lot more space as a therapist for me to help them explore their relationship, help them understand that they may go through different periods in their life where they may, you know, have different priorities and things might be more of a struggle. But I totally agree. I think what's really hard is that people just I think there's a couple things. I mean, I think on both sides they get promoted. Like I think a lot of eating disorder accounts it's actually more common for them to end up kind of sometimes they promote drinking and they will kind of classify. Oh, interesting. They will, well, at least in the circles that I run in, in like, so I'm very into like intuitive eating and health at every size and, you know, like accepting, you know, body neutrality. And I think unfortunately what happens is some dietitians or some creators can kind of be like, well, no food is off limits. So drinking can't be off limits. And it's kind of that idea Uh, with like Brianna of, well, maybe I'm trying so much to not drink that I'm causing this problem. And if I just let myself drink as much as I wanted all day, every day, it would lose its power over me. And the huge difference is that alcohol is an addictive substance that you do not need to survive. It's a poison. Your body wants to get rid of it. Right. Your body needs food. It needs sugar. It need like you need to eat consistently. Yes. And that's what's, yeah. you know, that's where it gets messy when it's it's just not the same. And and we can have a, you know, we can have um, an unhealthy pattern or even end up with another you know, people end up in addictive relationships or things like that. And it's important and yeah. should be 
worked on, but the solution isn't like drinking where you can just say, I'm never going to be in a relationship again or whatever. And abstinence is not the solution for everything. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's not an option for eating. Right. Exactly. That's so interesting. Yeah. And then on the other side, sometimes I think that like I think especially when it gets into like AA or people that are very like abstinence only, it can be like you have to look at every single thing in your life and cut out anything that is not perfectly healthy. And that can be obsessive where people get obsessed with clean eating. They become obsessed with being perfect and they have perfectionism. They become obsessed with their yeah. body or working out or no toxins at all. And and that can create a whole different oh. issue. Totally. Oh, man. I Yeah, that would just be a rabbit hole. You guys, if, if you are newly sober and you're – what is newly sober? I don't know. Even a couple yeah. of years. Like I am just now – at almost three years sober, starting to just take a teeny tiny peek into my sugar intake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like literally, I'm just starting to maybe think about taking a peek into it. So yeah, that's the idea of taking everything on is just uh, terrifying and brutal. Way too overwhelming. Start with, you know, start with the biggest problem and go from there. (laughs) Yes. I get get this because I drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. Um, because I mean, I just, I just don't ever want to work on on that. You know, it's just something I'm never going to look at. Yeah. And so I'll get these, you know, if I share like a coffee reel and it's about sobriety, I will always 100% of the time get a comment like, well, you could be talking about caffeine. It's just as bad. And it's like, dude, I have never, I've, I've drank a lot of coffee. I've never blacked out (laughs) from coffee, from too much coffee. And I've never known a single person who has lost her family over too much coffee. Completely. So, you know, I'm willing. Completely. I'm willing to continue yeah, I my mean, coffee. Yeah, there aren't studies that link coffee <laughs> substantially yeah. to cancer <laughs> and things like that either. Right. Like they are they are different and right, like yeah. someone can choose to not engage in caffeine and that's totally fine. But I agree. I think and I think right. acting like everything is the same diminishes yes how different and important it is that we talk about alcohol. Yeah, and how dangerous alcohol yeah. is. I I want to talk quickly about boundaries, yeah. which is that I, I know it's not a quick subject. <laughs> Probably what I see most in my group is wives who have decided to stop drinking, mm-hmm. but their partners continue. Yes. And they're really struggling with that. So what what would you say to someone in your office if that is – that's kind of hindering them in their sobriety? I mean, it's really common. I think it's really hard. In general, I think that it's important to recognize – and it's hard when you live with someone, right? Like if you live by yourself yes. and your partner drinks, you cannot keep alcohol in your house. You can – do certain things mm-hmm. that work for you. But when you live with someone else, there does have to be some negotiation on some level. And that's mm-hmm. where I really believe in like the concept kind of of, you know, people can say that boundaries are really black and white. And I think that there's like a middle ground with with boundaries and negotiating. And I think that's where you may need to talk to your partner about what are the things that trigger you and what are the things that are 
important to them and come up with something that works. Like maybe they keep less alcohol in the house or maybe they don't keep certain types of alcohol in the house or maybe they drink not in front of you. You know, they can Mm -hmm. drink when you're not home or out somewhere or um, things like that because I think it can also be really hard when someone stops drinking and they're excited and they're like, you know, full Mm -hmm. of life and then – they're on a date with their partner and they watch their partner, you know, mentally yeah. check out as yeah. they drink. Yeah. You could get resentful pretty quickly. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And my, I mean, my husband drinks and we've had to navigate different things with that. And I think remembering too, you can advocate for like, maybe you guys, you know, every other date night, your partner doesn't drink or things like that so that you – like I think it's really important to find what your triggers are, find what the things are that bother you, communicate them, and come up with a compromise that works. Yeah. And I think even just finding what your triggers are and what bothers you takes time. It does. It does. And cha- it can change too. Yes. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm like I'm pissed off, but I, I don't know why I'm triggered by this, but I don't like this. You know, I don't like that you came home. Like for me, it's the smell Mm -hmm. a lot of the times. Like, oh, okay, I don't like this smell. What, you know, what's different? What changed? And I think just being able to listen to yourself is new in sobriety Mm -hmm. too. Like it's, it's it's almost like a new language we have to learn. Like we have to become fluent in ourself and our gut and our intuition because I know for me, like I – that was new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I didn't absolutely. know what I needed or what I wanted, or yeah. because I just wasn't, I wasn't in tune with. I was like, how do I even? Well, we didn't have to because you yeah. could just drink to deal with that irritation or discomfort or right. whatever. Yeah, you didn't have to exactly, and so yeah, that definitely takes kind. I've found like with my husband and the boundary that I set and mine for him is like two beers. I feel good. Yeah. I feel good yeah. with two beers. Like that feels – I don't feel unsafe. Yeah. I, I I feel comfortable. It's not the smell like that – I hard alcohol is what I've yeah. discovered for me. I don't like that stale smell. And so – and and also I, I think it's important to remember like I set that boundary, but that doesn't mean – it's not like – I can set it, but he can break it. Yeah. (laughs) And that doesn't – he's a great husband. And even if he's not meaning to break it, this is new for him too. Yeah. And so if he breaks it, we talk about it. Like I'm like, oh, right. Okay. So this feels really shitty and scary and I'm scared Mm -hmm. because I set this and now I see that you – you know. And so that's a hard conversation to have. But I guess it's just this ongoing conversation, right? It's not like a sitting down one time. 100%. Right? And that could be scary. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions with boundaries is that people think that they're going to say this one time and it'll be done and it'll be hard. And Boundaries are like an ongoing communication always because we change, they change, life changes, things happen, people break their word. And it's really more about like boundary maintenance, I would say, is even Mm. more important than boundary setting. Yeah, that's so good. I love that boundary maintenance. It's so true. Um, So this is going to 
come out in January. So we probably have a lot of dry January people, people who are just starting to think about their relationship with alcohol and examine it. What would be your biggest tip to somebody who is just starting on their sober, sober curious, dry January journey? Um, I think my biggest tip would be to give yourself space to like explore. I mean, I guess number one, don't lie to yourself about how yeah. long you're doing the dry January for. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think people do do that sometimes, yes. right? They'll they'll do kind of what I was talking about and start late or cut it off early. Right. <gasps> No loopholes. But I think, yeah. <laughs> but I think also just like there can be so much pressure, I think, if you tell people you're like doing a dry January of people being mm-hmm. like, well, are you going to never drink again? What does this oh, mean? What are you going to do? Question. <laughs> and you don't have to answer that question no. and you don't even have to know. Like no. you can say to people, I don't know. I'm just doing this thing and I'll see how yeah. I feel. And taking some of that pressure off because it's going to change how – it's going to impact how much you get out of it if you're putting this like pressure on yourself either way, either to never drink again or to stop the second, you know, it's yeah. February 1st. Like give yourself yourself genuine space to explore what it is like and what comes up for you. And it's data. Like I think that's the best to look at it as an experiment. Look at it as data that you're gathering. Look at like it's good data whether you continue to drink or not to know that you struggle to like, you know, deal with your anger without yeah. drinking. It's yes. good data to know that, you know, you're sleeping better without alcohol. It's all just data. Totally. Yeah, I love the I love the curiosity component because it is rather than looking at it like I am going to live, you know, without alcohol for these 30 days. And then on February 1st, I'm going to count down. And it's like you're looking through it as a lens of like not being able to drink alcohol. That does cloud it. Then then you're not – you don't get to realize what sobriety can be. And that like alcohol probably isn't making things more fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also think maybe trying some mocktails, um, if they don't trigger you, can be a fun thing to do. Some Find something you're excited to drink yes. or try. I think that can make a difference too in dry January. Yes. What's your, fa- what's your go-to mocktail? What's your favorite? I love Seed Lip, which is- <gasps> Wait, what is this? Tell me. It is, it's like, it replaces liquor like one-to-one, but they make, oh. it really helps with like, um, like I love making margaritas with seed yeah. lip or mojitos with seed lip. I'm not into the ones that are meant to mimic the, you know, like fake rum or fake like tequila the or things. Yeah. So I love seed lip. I also really love the brand Groovy. Oh, me too. I just did a party. I love their rosé. So that's it's that's so always in my fridge. Good. I think it's so yes. good too. It really is. And now they're at Target, guys. Hashtag ad. <gasps> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is very they, exciting. I know. <laughs> it's like it's like a limited run. I don't know. Go check. I'll, I'll when this airs, I'm gonna drop yeah. the link where you can check to see if it's at your local Target because it is. Okay. One thing that I thought was weird is it is in the alcohol department. So it was at a super Target and it's next to the alcohol, which I was like, huh. I mean, I guess I get it. But then I I could see that also feeling triggering 
to somebody going yeah. into that alcohol department. So just yeah, I've up. gotten it before at like my local beer distributor, which yeah, it is right yeah. with all of the the alcohol, yeah. which. I get, but it's all – yeah, it's kind of weird, but – I know, and it's like, well, that's probably the best place for it. <laughs> right. I could also, maybe just order it online, and then you don't have yes. to go. Order it, totally. like Instacart it, and then, yeah. Yes. Oh, well, I love this conversation so much. I, I just – I love that you're – you're just creating space and making it possible for women to feel comfortable to question their relationship with alcohol. And also not not just alcohol. Like I follow you on Instagram. You guys go to Therapy for Women on Instagram and you just give really great um, just bite-sized mental health morsels that like can help reframe my entire day. So I, I really thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay. I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. Why are we doing an ad again? So that we can tell people about brand new information, a pop culture and political podcast. Say it in a way that doesn't sound like game show host. Okay. Do you want to be in a room of overeducated douchebags and feel comfortable? Brand new information is for you. What's it going to take to put you in this podcast today? We have brand new information on sale for free. Free. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. We might not break the political and pop culture news of the week but we put it right back together for you. That's right. Listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.